So, Hugh McCarthy, sorry for keeping you waiting. You said it's um, your age, but honestly, oh, I've got the smallest bloody bladder on the planet. I just finished drinking my coffee and it just runs through me. <laughs> anyway, so Hugh, it's great to have you on the show. Um, you're a retired headmaster and you've got a great sub stack. And you recently had this um, joint article with David Bell, I believe, Brandstone Institute talking about children um and i'd love to hear you on all matters basically of what we did to the kids during covid about this whole gender ideology whatever else you want to talk about so can you just introduce yourself um and yeah tell me about why you're on substack and why you're writing these things Well, as you said, I, I'm a retired head teacher. I was in education for f 50 years. I, I, I know I don't look like it, but uh, 45 years in the school. The, the last 23 years as a, as a head teacher, as you pointed out, post-primary school here in Northern Ireland. Uh, actually, I'm speaking to you rather ironically, given the website from Riverside. That's, that's where I am in, in Northern Ireland right now, beside the River oh. Ban, which which bisects, more or less, uh, Northern Ireland. Um, I also lectured towards the end of my career in a postgraduate uh, diploma in... Oh, sorry. Oh, you naughty one. So can we start again? Yeah. Um, can we start just again, Ahmed, and just let me take this and yes. tell my son not to ring me? Right, the phone is next door now. You've done your important call. Right, so fire away. Retired head master. Yes. Um, as I said earlier, um, ironically, beside the river, River Ban, which bisects Northern Ireland is where I'm speaking to you from. Um, as you said, I am a retired head teacher. I've been involved in education for 50 years. I know it don't look like it. 45 in schools. Um <laughs> The, the last few years I lectured, I also lectured in a postgraduate uh, diploma in headship at the University of Ulster, um, largely by leadership. I, I have been a member, a director of two of Northern Ireland's leading education councils. I am currently still a director of one where I'm a, on which I'm a ministerial appointment, actually. Um, and I'm a member of uh, Pandata and Collateral Global. To how did I get here? Um, mm. Well, it just felt wrong from the start. Um, it felt totally disproportionate. Um, closing churches, surgeries in a time allegedly of need, uh, closing businesses, schools. It was obvious the damage that it would that it would cause. So it was to my eyes right from the start morally and intellectually wrong. Mm. Uh, and then the science started to, fortunately for me, if you like, then the science started to come in on the same side. So mm. the Diamond Princess was the most obvious example of, a, if you like, a laboratory test. Loads of elderly people and young people trapped on a ship with air, the same air circulating, and yet... I think 13 people died, none of them on the crew, a thousand odd youngish people, and 
only one person under 70 and the rest of the people had, uh, you know, were very elderly and had comorbidities. So right from the start. So uh, the science was wrong. And then I heard and started to follow people like Professor Levitt, Lee, Gupta, Ivor Cummings, mm. uh, Balachara, and Hen Hennigan. Um, I'm sure you know all these people. And mm -hmm. more recently, David Bell, uh, Professor Fenton, Professor Hinton, Joel Smalley. And they, and then I signed up to Pandata and Collateral Global. And what these people had in common was, in my view, a caring for the children and a caring for humanity. Mm. It, uh, they, they spoke with uh, compassion and empathy. And they didn't lecture me. They presented evidence to me to allow me to assist. Yes, they gave their conclusions, mm. but they pre presented evidence to me to allow me to make up my mind. They, they weren't standing in front of a TV, TV set telling me that this was mm. deadly when it completely obviously wasn't. So mm. I started, I think, March, May 2020, writing uh, articles, uh, and they're all helpfully, there are 40 of them now, all published by external sources, all helpfully entitled, What Are We Doing to Our Children? And as you pointed out, the most recent one written with David Bell, whom my wife and I met in Dublin, um, and it's been published uh, on Brownstone Institute, Daily Skeptic, Children's Health Defence, and a couple of other sources. And there's currently the final part, and I'll stop after this maybe, the final part of uh, a four-part series on the front page of UK column um, and the conclusion, uh, all entitled right from the start, What Have We Done to Our Children? And it goes into exactly that, What Have We Done to Our Children? And I'll pause so, there. That's it. That's well, I mean, that's... I mean, synopsis. it sounds like sounds like you're you're quite credentialed. You've got a a lot of experience there. Um, definitely not a quack, disappointingly. So, listen, with all that wisdom and experience, the next question I want to ask you is: What have we done to the children? Because there's a lot of people out there who are like, everything's fine. There's not a big deal going on. You know, it's the summer. Enjoy yourself. COVID was yesterday. What's the big deal? What have we done to the children? Well, there, there, there are two parts to that. Um, whatever we did, is, is that it? Rights, past, gone. We, we did those harms. We made mistakes, if there were mistakes. Is, is that all right? Um, just to let it go. No one's responsible. No one's accountable. If you say anything... Um, you are banned or censored. Um, so that, that, there's two answers to the question. Do, do we just let it go? Was it all right? Just because it was in the past, does it make it not a crime? I mean, in mm. the world that I live in, if you commit a crime five, ten years ago, it's still a crime. So that's the first point. And the second point is, actually, for many, many children, it isn't in the past. Mm. What we have done 
is a continuing issue with children. Uh, and, then they, and they knew about it. Amongst others, Ofsted reported that damages to children under five in uh, spring 2021 and before, they knew the damage this was doing to children from not to five. After all, if you're three years of age, uh, two of them have been spent, or two and a half of them have spent locked away, that, that's kind of 100% of your life. And, and so we are seeing uh, uh, 90% of your development, brain development is done in the first five years of your life. Uh, and so we, we cut that off. We fill them with fear. Young children will have fear attacks later in their lives, not really know why. But to answer your question directly, more directly then, mm. um, the Ofsted reports clearly showed um, an NFER that there were developmental losses. We're seeing a, a generation of young children unable to walk, talk, communicate, socialize because we cut them off. We're seeing a generation, according to Dr. Golden, who's uh, head of pediatrics at the Great Ormond Street Hospital, two years behind. Two years. Well, how, how's that going to be caught up? Um, and that's working its way through. Uh, if you read my articles, it's there at nine, ten. If you if you have a child who is struggling to read, school is vital at around nine. It's about eight, functional literacy in some measures about eighty six points. You can be shoved up and you can be fall back. Now the thing about reading is whatever mechanism we use to do it. It sort of freezes about 13 years of age. So if you get to 13 without having functional literacy, mm. it's very, very difficult to get it. Now, mm. how do you earn a living, live in today's society without functional literacy? So the damage done to those nine-year-old children and 10, 11, who were mm. teetering on the brink of functional literacy is irreparable. And that will damage the rest of their lives. So there's the whole development and educational bit. Then there's the mental health. There are a million children yes. awaiting mental health. A million? A million. A mi in the UK, a million. No, hold on a sec. No, hold on. The numbers are presence. How many children are there in the UK? Um, there, well, there are about two million off school, so I'm I, I, I'm guessing around ten million. So ten percent of children, ten percent of children are on on waiting list for mental health issues. Well, I can't give you the percentage. As I said, my estimates of population, children population of uh, UK, and, and of course those are school populations. A million sounds like a big number to me in any case uh, with mental health issues. Record numbers awaiting hospital appointments for mental health issues. Wow. And the third and the third and fourth categories. Yeah. Rising tide of abuse. Um, it's one thing having children at home if they're kind of safe at home. Yeah. It's another thing if you're locked away in a high rise. 
Um, and then the other thing, the last one, all those life experiences that we got at school, you know, first day, last day, playing for yeah. school football team, part yeah. of the drama, were they not important? Were they not? My, my children only went to school to play sport. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so um, somehow they're not important. So all that has been sacrificed for a virus that didn't affect them at all. But then they'll argue. But they'll argue. Yeah, of course the children were okay, but, but, you know, we had to protect Granny, so it was worth it because we saved Granny. No, and in fact, as you well know, we didn't. Um, We didn't save Granny. We we actually did the reverse. Uh, Just going back to the two parts of that. Mm. The evidence was there in 2020. The children were not taking it home. Mm. Uh, British Medical German, Journal, um, PhD, and uh, Professor uh, Woolhouse from SAGE, the Canadian Health Authority, the evidence was there from the start. The children were not taking it. It was going the other way, if it went any way at all, and it didn't matter if it did. But the children weren't taking it home. So they weren't, they weren't carriers. They didn't get it and they didn't carry something home. Secondly, um, you know, they lived with mum and dad and mum and dad was younger than I am. So they mm. weren't at risk either, actually. Mum and dad wasn't, weren't at risk because they were sort of under 50. And there are many countries in the world, no one under 50 died of COVID. So about granny, I don't know about you, but if I had a sore throat or a bad cough, I, I, I rang my mum and said, Mum, I have a bad cough today, I have a sore throat. I don't think I should come and see you. And mm. my mum would have said, no, I haven't seen you for a week. Come over anyway, or or not, as the case may yeah. be. That yeah. was a, that was a, that was a, something that could be resolved quite easily within homes, whether they saw Granny or not. Granny, Granny doesn't mostly doesn't live with them, so there was mm. a whole st- stack of evidence that just says you know, that was that was nonsense. And in fact, the, the worse, we left Granny isolated. We increased her dementia. We put her in care homes and didn't attend her. We took her out of hospitals. We didn't yeah. give her medical treatment in a care home. It was just appalling. Hugh, what about teachers and the unions saying that they needed to protect the teachers and that's why they had to have remote learning and, you know, it was actually in their interest and in their protection? Well, that's that's nonsense as well because the teachers, my teachers were under 50. They weren't at risk. And what is it they were at risk of, actually? I mean, this had a survival rate for children of 99.9997, if you, if you take the evidence from the world's top epidemiologist, Jan and Alice. And people under 50, they, they weren't at risk either. Um, 
Hugh, some people might say that this evidence trickled out and although people like you knew about it early on, a lot of people weren't aware of this and it took time for this knowledge to disseminate. So would you say, is there any any time when it's okay to to take these measures and lock kids in at home and, and do remote learning? Or do you think even if there is a deadly pandemic, everything should stay open? But in relation to children, yeah, it would do more harm than good. And, and in any case, lockdowns, the evidence is from research after research that lockdowns did not work. They don't work. Actually, the WHO, the WHO's pandemic preparation plan mm. and the UK's version of it was quite clear. Mm. Lockdowns didn't work. They did more harm than good. And all they do is for a, slow, a short time is delay and slow down. You, you can't keep a virus in because you open doors and windows and it's air. So it doesn't matter. So they answer. Yeah. yeah, so it doesn't matter. Even if it's a deadly pandemic, lockdowns don't work. So the whole argument that, well, of, that, oh, you know, we didn't know. And yes, this one isn't that bad, but next time it might be. So, you know, we did the right thing anyway is nonsense. Lockdowns simply don't work. And it doesn't matter how severe. Well, there are 24. Real... Mm. Well, what I was going to say there was, I think there are 24 substantial peer-reviewed pieces of research indicating. And now the evidence of our own eyes is they don't work. Those countries which didn't lock down featured, same as those countries with masks, states with masks, they featured, they, they fared better than the countries mm. that did lockdown. Those countries mm. which locked down the harshest ended up faring the worst. So they, at the beginning, that was all based on modelling. Now, why you would base a modeler who's been wrong, galactically wrong four times in the past, why you would suddenly believe him again is You're beyond me. Neil if Ferguson. I was wrong as often as Neil, Neil Ferguson, I, I would have lost my job. Um, <laughs> yet he models... Continue to come. Um, but actually, we don't need real models now because the evidence is in about masks. The evidence is in about lockdowns. They didn't work. I don't know why we're still talking about them. To be fair to the teachers um, and society, there was wall-to-wall propaganda. You couldn't go in. When you could go into a store or a cafe, there were notices messages coming out, and the teachers are at the bottom of a quite a strong hierarchy. There was very little the ordinary day-to-day teacher could do about it. In that, they were frankly being told what to do. And, you know, I was a head teacher. Teachers didn't always agree with me, shall I say. When they did, they came in and discussed it with me. But there's a, and then above me, there was a, Board of Governors, above the Board of Governors, it was the Department of Education, Department of Health, Education Authority, whole weight, and then there was society. Society believed mass worked. And in terms of that message, as you well know, if you delivered a contrary message, you were shut down anyway. So there was no, I, I was fortunate, uh, semi-fortunate. The newsletter, the Belfast newsletter, printed the first 11 of my articles. I did make 11 
consecutive presentations, <clears throat> monthly presentations to my board. Mm. However, um, it was a, a bit of a hard, cold road. Because um, the, the message coming across from the chief medical officers, from Boris on the TV, from the from the newspapers, from all the influential people on on the radio and on TV was just uniform. So, yeah, it was. So can I just say, Hugh, it's funny you mentioned Neil Ferguson. I actually emailed him asking him to come on my podcast and um, he hasn't responded. He hasn't replied. Um, it's, it's actually remarkable when you look him up and you look at his Wikipedia page, for example, He's doing quite well. He's director of the Jamil Institute and of the MRC, Medical Research Council, Center for Global Infectious Disease Analysis. He's head of the Department of Infectious Disease Epidemiology in the School of Public Health. He's vice dean of academic development in the Faculty of Medicine at Imperial College. I mean, this guy has got a pretty bad track record when it comes to predicting things and getting calling uh you know what's going to happen but he's failing upwards because he's done well for himself he's got great positions probably earning a lot of money but his modeling his report number nine i think it was that wasn't a peer-reviewed paper it's just basically an opinion that was used to justify lockdown, social distancing, the whole shabam. It's quite incredible when you think about it. You know, you know we talk about evidence-based medicine and science. There's nothing scientific about his report. But nonetheless, that report that wasn't put up to any form of scrutiny was used to justify all these measures that you've described. I find that just shocking. And like you said right at the beginning, no one's being held responsible. No one's being held accountable. It's quite sad, actually, isn't it? Well, it's both sad and worrying. I mean, I think there are 10 government policies. And they were all wrong. Um, I did ask our chief medical officer, for example, why are we vaccinating babies? Yeah. Why are we vaccinating children? Um, yes. I, I thought in a democracy that if you were intending to eject my son or my grandson, I, I thought I might be entitled to ask you why. Give me your evidence as to why. And I say I did present them, our people here, with the scientific evidence about masks from, for example, Professor Hannigan, uh, Director of Centre-Based Evidence at, at Oxford, we spoke to our Northern Ireland executive when we still had one in August 2020 and told them masks don't work. Normally speaking, if in Northern Ireland, if we have a revered professor from Oxford across here, we're practically mm. curtsying to him. Yeah. And he goes to our Stormont executive, tells them all masks don't work. And uh, three weeks later, what do we do? We introduce masks. Um, so all those, we wasted. Twenty million pounds on vaccine passports. Now, 
the government's own Public Accounts and Constitutional Affairs Committee states, and it's in Hansard, that there was no scientific rationale behind them, that the government had failed to mount a case for their use. The five countries which tried them, they didn't work. Now, our people were told this. I told them, for example, £20 million on a five-week failed experiment. That's all right, is it? £20 million builds a half-decent primary school. Um, but no one when, is accountable, no one when you, is responsible. When you, when you asked, you know, why are we vaccinating babies and children? Apart from being, you know, accused, uh, you know, I would say you're just a stupid anti-vaxxer. Is there any other reason they gave you why they would do that? Do they have any response to that? Well, uh, uh, two things. Um, it got me banned from LinkedIn. I had quite oh. a big following on LinkedIn. And uh, so it got me shut down. Um, LinkedIn offered me the appeal service, which I wouldn't do because I wasn't about to be held accountable to somebody ringing me up and saying, you were a bad boy, you'll not do it again. Yeah. So I'm still off LinkedIn. Um, the answer to your question is, I, uh, and again, the, the 10 questions are on, were published by the Daily Skeptic. Um, what account had he taken of the statistics I quoted earlier? Uh, Material from VAERS about the vaccine injuries, um, material about PCR tests, our data about. And of course, I didn't get an answer. And I'm not the only one to have written to our chief medical officer saying, asking a perfectly legitimate question. And I asked him if he disagrees with Professor Heidegger or Ionatis or Fenton or him, would he please send me his counter-scientific data and analysis. And, and I no will response. send it to these independent, world-class scientists and ask them to enter into discussion with you, with him. But of course, I'm still waiting. But this is, this is what you've just described as a standard operating procedure. No response. So whether it's Joe Rogan and RFK Jr. telling that guy, what's his name, Peter Hotez or whatever his name is, come on, talk to us about vaccines. Come on, have a debate with us. You won't do it. Whether it's you saying, why are we injecting? Let's have a debate. There's no response. Whether it's someone called Elizabeth Hart out in Australia asking all her ministers, and I don't know if you've ever heard of her, she's a great lady, um, doing BMJ uh -huh. letters, writing to Fiona Godley, for example, asking questions, no response. Whether it's um, the pe you know the Perseus report, um, writing about the MHRA failings mm. and asking you know for a response, mm. all these questions, no response. Whether it's me writing to my medical director with a whole bunch of questions, no response. But you get censored, you get shut down, you get accused of being crazy conspiracy theorist you know a nut job a quack a grifter you know everything comes back like that but there's no actual proper debate conversation 
objective facts, data. It's just basic, basically slander and smear. And that, to me, should is, is telling me something seriously wrong. And anyone listening who is on the fence and isn't sure, just think about what I've just said. On one side, you've got proponents pushing an argument and asking questions. And on the other side, rather than having an answer, their solution is censorship. What are they trying to hide? I mean, I mean, you're, you're that, quite... carry on. Yes, you're, 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 you're sorry. You're, you, I mean, you're quite right. The most worrying aspect of all of this, I, I, I kind of believed in democracy. I've, I've got to say, I didn't believe everything was told now. But I live in Northern Ireland and there's, you know, you read the two newspapers and you think you were looking at a different, a different event. Um, so I didn't believe everything, but broadly speaking, conservative sort of person lived, uh, went to work in a shirt and tie. Um, but I got to 70 believing that our institutions sort of broadly worked in our favor. The churches, mm. the medical services, the civil servants, the political institutions, mm. um, bro- uh, even the media. Broadly speaking, I kind of thought they were on our side. I certainly didn't yeah. think they were opposed to us. Yeah, Northern Ireland's quite a small, yeah. a, a very small place. And I thought, well, if I ask a question in a democracy, even if you don't like the question or you don't agree with the motive of the question, I kind of thought I was entitled to ask it and to say. And I might get an answer. Now, I know politicians are pretty good at avoiding it, but I mean, I went to Queen's with the chairman of the Public Health Authority here, and it is still the Public Health Authority here, and it's not security agent. Mm. Uh, I went to the board of the Public Health Authority. No answer. Asking these legitimate questions about PCR tests, putting the evidence about PCR tests, Mm. putting the evidence about masks, putting the evidence about school closures, asking them to counter it. I've written to our local MLAs. I mean, Northern Ireland, as I said, is tiny. I taught some of these people, went to school with some of them. and I've, I write, ring some of them. I, I, I recall having a conversation with my MLA, one of them. That's a member of the local assembly, by the way. It's sort of MPs we have, although we have MPs too. And asking him, did he understand a PCR test? And he said, well, actually he didn't. And I said, well, you're using it. Your party is using it to close everything down. Do you not think you should have a scientific understanding? And I say, you're actually an engineer, so you should understand it. So do you want me to explain it to you? Um, No. So I said, if I send it to you, I'm not mentioning it. If I send it to you, will you read it then? He says, no. And I said, yet you're using it to close us down. And something you don't, neither you nor your colleagues understand. Now, I went to the leader of the party. In our devolved system, the the smaller of the two unionist parties held the health ministry brief. Um, 
So I went to see the leader, lives in the same area as I do. And, uh, well, talk about masks. And I knew it was it didn't go well because he was behind a barrier wearing a mask and plastic gloves on. And of oh, course I didn't. Say. So in the end, I asked him, show me your science for masks. And his answer was, the Chinese wear them. Get used to it. Now, oh my God. This is the leader of a political party, and that is his answer for shutting down society. Um, so the conversation didn't go anywhere. It had lasted <laughs> about 25 minutes. It was, of course, wasting my time. Uh, it didn't. Oh. I mean, that's still my hobby horse. Anyone with any wit would know a piece of cloth doesn't stop a virus. Um, and the evidence is excruciating about masks. And I told the Department of Education, the Chief Medical Officer, the Department of Health, anybody and everybody who would listen, I presented them. I am my own board. I presented them. And I refused to wear a mask. I presented them with all the evidence. But as you said yourself, uh, Ahmed, I often looked at it as if I had two heads. Unbelievable. I mean, it's worrying for me because, like you, this has shaken my whole belief in democracy and freedom and the freedom of press. I just feel like, you know, there's a lot of us writing letters, writing to, you know, various people, institutions, politicians. Nothing changes. Nothing's happening. No one's being held to account. And it's kind of depressing on that front. You know, it's the reason why I'm doing this podcast. Because I was feeling really frustrated because I don't know how we could fight back against this nonsense that we're seeing around the world. And my solution in my head was, it's very simple. We need to educate and inform as many people as possible as to what is going on. It's as simple as that. That's the only way I, I can seem to fight back. I, I don't think writing letters is making any difference. It's just falling on deaf ears. I know two well, I people. Said nice stuff. I said, if I could just come in there. The purpose, I reason I'm doing this, I mean, I'm, I'm getting into my, I mean, I'm well into my 70s now. I want to be lying on a beach somewhere. <laughs> That's how I saw my holiday, my retirement. I like lying on the beach doing nothing. Not <laughs> You know, not doing this sort of thing. I mean, I've given numerous presentations, putting myself through it, you know. And that's what I saw myself doing. And mm. yet, I, I find myself trying to educate and inform the public. Because you're right. It's a, a railway train. On one level, it appears... You present somebody with the evidence, it doesn't make any difference. I mean, how do you answer a question? If you say to somebody, not a single child has died, a healthy child has died anywhere in the world of COVID, of COVID. You then tell people that the number of deaths of COVID exactly in Northern Ireland equal the number of deaths of flu. And there were no deaths of flu. 
and then say the average age of death is 82, and you wait for a response. You then say there's no evidence, and the Department of Education says there's no evidence, the Cochrane Report says it about masks, and you present them graphically showing that actually when you introduce masks, I mean, on masks, if cases are running at a certain level and you mask mandate, you would expect if they work the mask, you know, them to fall. Not a country in the world, so not. So you present a half page of concrete, factual information Solid. to these people, and then you expect, oh, you're right. Well, what about? Mm. But no. So you're then left with this steam train that's coming down, and you've got to say, why? Why is no one listening to all? all, Why are the heads of all our institutions? Yes. Time of fear. Time of fear. Elderly people's current witness. What do we do? Close churches? I thought the sign of churches was fear not. Yes. I didn't see Jesus cross over Mm. and not help the, you know, the lepers. The lepers, Jesus went to people who were ill. He didn't close churches. I mean, there were ways that churches could, even if you believed it, there were ways in which churches could have been kept open, like their big, airy buildings, bring the 10 people in at a time and allow them to pray. And what else would be doing? Uh, You've got me on the soapbox now. We close doctor's surgeries. Ah, what a good idea. Tell people to stay at home until you get really ill. I know. That's that's when I, I mean, was like, that's when I woke up and I was like, enough. Because I, I don't know if you know my background. I fell for the fear porn. I was in a bad place. Dad had died. Coming out of Brexit. Suffered big time personally, financially from that experience. And um, I was very isolated. So I fell for the whole lockdown, kind of like, we need lockdown. I was like, oh, yeah, let's have lockdown. You know, we've literally within a few days of lockdown. I was like, this is bullshit. Stay at home till you're dying, then go to hospital. This doesn't make sense. And I was like, and then I was reading, you know, in my little Brexit groups, this isn't going to be two weeks. This is going to be much longer. They're going to lock us down. They're going to stop schools. They're going to mask mandates. And, And I was like, oh my God, this is going to happen. And it all happened. All these conspiracy theories all came to reality. Conspiracy reality. Um, Because it is is a conspiracy, but it's real. It's not a theory. It's real. Real as you can get. I was going to say to you, Hugh, you know, I know two people who have lost their children, took their own lives during COVID. I know two people who've lost their kids. Five times more people lost their life. Children committed suicide. Yeah. So, yeah. So no child has died. No, no healthy child has died of COVID. But how many children have killed themselves because of the measures that we put in place? And who... But of course, they're talking about 220 million extra deaths or something. Massive numbers. Um, But you're you're, you're quite right, I guess. 
So, and, and, and so, you know, to recap, when it comes to children, you've got delayed reading, delayed writing, delayed learning, delayed social skills, interpersonal, nonverbal communication. You've got, you know, significant, you know, emotional, developmental, psychological needs that have been delayed. You've got um, the mental health crisis. Kids who are anxious. Oh, I forgot to mention, I've got a, a patient who I just saw last week who was telling me how I was saying, you know, I ask, I'm a very holistic surgeon. Um, and I ask my patients everything, you know, what's going on with your life? Are you stressed? Or how's your sleep, your diet, your nutrition? She's like, oh my God, I'm so stressed. I was like, you know, why? Oh, you know, I've got two kids at home. I was like, well, I've got three kids at home. Yes. It can be challenging, but you know, it's life. She went, no, no, since lockdown, you know, one of them is now suffering from severe anxiety and can't leave the house, worries about the virus, still masking up. This is today, 2023, in August. And she goes, you know, it's really, it's really challenging. It's very, very difficult. And these i don't think these 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 numbers these people are being collected no there's no data on the actual bigger harm you know of what's happening to our kids and our society that anxiety that stress and i think some of that is also now slipping into this whole gender dysphoria thing because you've got kids who are suffering from mental health issues who are very anxious very vulnerable don't know where they are in this in this world and then you know you're being told actually everything is because you're in the wrong body i don't know maybe it's just as a theory in my head i've got i just feel like there's an explosion of mental health in children like you said and it's not a coincidence that you've now got an explosion of this whole gender identity crisis um so just apart from the back. yeah um, there is Ofsted have data about rising Ofsted, that's the just for the other listeners, that's the body that inspects schools in England and Wales have data about self-harm about record numbers of children being on antidepressants about uh, an explosion they call it of disabling tick disorders the heart have extensive research, so does Collateral Global I think Jay Bhattacharya, um, he, I think he's an 80% increase in children. Wow. 80% of children reporting mental health issues. And, and wow. while I'm on that, I, I can't understand why the Great Barrington Declaration was so controversial. I know, In right? my head, the, cent the central message was Protect those that need protected and allow those that don't to get on with their lives. What on earth was controversial about that? That, to me, is a statement of common sense. Mm. Now, going to mental health, if you have a child who is anxious or a young person or an old person who is anxious and they go to the doctor, the doctor will say to them, um, socialise. Play sport, go out, travel, mix with your friends, go out and about, go to church. 
the very things that we as a society use to protect mental health were the very things that we denied our young people. Yeah. Why the shock is the shock is that people are shocked that there is an explosion of mental health. It would be a shock if there wasn't. And um, as I said, that that uh, that million children—that's a data. I think that's Department of it's UK government data anyway. Awaiting mental health. Um, I have it sourced. Um, so so that is data. 440,000 children mm. per month being seen. Record numbers. Um, in, in terms of uh, the whole sexuality issue, um, if you are confusing children, in my view, mm. none of us cope well with confusion. Um, most, I mean, I go into a book, a bookshop, and I'm confused over the number of books. Can't select a book. Uh, yeah. There are many, many psychological experiments, as you know, where animals get totally panicked if they're offered a wide choice of routes, avenues, or food. Um, so here we are worrying international pressure being put on local governments and education systems, uh, an agenda that appears to me to be promoting the sexualization of young and very young children. Mm. I think it's wrong. What can I say? Uh, I think it's wrong. I mean, the inter and I'm just looking to get the correct title here, the International Technical Guidance on Sexuality and Education and the Standards for Sexual Sexuality in Europe, whose documents are worth reading for all parents, in particular the matrix on the second document from page 39 onwards. Now, they are long reads, um, but it seems to me that this is the agenda, whether we like it or not. So they talk about age-appropriate sexual education. Uh, we'd agree with that, wouldn't we? But yeah, the next question nice, is... Yeah. Reasonable, yeah. But the next question is, who decides on age-appropriate? I mean, they talk about sexuality beginning at one. Sexual education. And that's in their document now. I'm, Unbelievable. I read it this morning, so as I would know, as in, no. They, they, and they're, what they appear to be recommending, well, it's in their documents, that's coming down from the WHO. Mm -hmm. Now, I had a view about the WHO and their COVID management systems. Yeah. And here they are telling us how we should educate our children. Now, I think the last place to discuss these issues mm -hmm. is in a classroom full of 31 children. Yeah. If I have, I mean, these are children that won't put up their hand and say, look, I don't understand how you get 30 when you multiply six by five. And you ask a classroom of children, do you understand? Nobody puts up their hand and says, sir, I don't understand. Yeah. As an experienced teacher, you have to look around the faces to see mm. who doesn't understand. And you, and you couldn't do that when the mask's on, of course. 
and you have to rely on the follow-up work to see if they did understand. But they don't put up their hand. So the promotion of gender ideology, and it seems to be a promotion, and the discussion of it in classrooms, because it does mention, review. the, the word is reflect on how you feel about gender and biological sex. That's a direct lift. And I wrote it down here so as it would get exactly right. Mm. Reflect. Now, I, I'm not doing that in a class of 31. I think the classroom, even if you agree, even if you agree, I think a classroom is exactly the wrong place to have any of that discussion. And are teachers the right people to deliver? They, they, where I would have said you need trained. Worryingly, the WHO document says, but go ahead anyway. It says, ideally, teachers should be trained in the delivery of sex education. So on, PRSE. But it then goes on to say, words to the effect, go ahead anyway. Now think of the damage. Think of the damage anyway, but think of the damage an untrained person or a person with their own mm. views. I mean, we weren't supposed to express political views in class. So all of a sudden we can um, express these opinions in class. Um, and it There's sounds one like in Northern Ireland. Yes. I, I was going to I say, Anna. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. I I was going to say, it's it's it sounds like you're not allowed to talk politics unless it's the right type of politics. To me, this is a political ideology, and I don't see the place for this in a young kid's school. And I feel, you know, I had a I had a transsexual on my show and he basically said, how can you know that you're in the wrong body if you haven't even been through puberty? And I thought, that's a really good point. Why are we talking to our kids about these gender issues? Why don't we just leave our kids alone? Kids are so malleable, so vulnerable, so open, and they don't know what they are and where they are. It's a very confusing time being a kid. And then you throw in COVID and lockdowns and the fear that existed then and still does to this day. And the resulting trauma that they've all been through and the depression and the anxiety, the the breakups of marriages, the problems in marriages, working from home. You know, any parent knows how hard it is working from home with kids. P parents are getting snappy. So you've got this environment now where kids are really in a bad place. And now you're exposing them to, I feel like the kids have come out of the frying pan now straight into the fire. And we're just making it even worse now with this gender ideology. And... It's just one harm now on top of another harm. And is this just all, you know, just incompetence? Just people have just 
people are trying to have good intentions but are just stupid and is there just some is there is there some malintent is there is there a design behind it i mean is this an attack on our children what the hell is going on because to me hugh it's just common sense just leave our kids alone they're not they're not prey to the virus they're not in any danger and also kids don't need to be told about transgender issue it was it was as an adult my opinion is as an adult you can do whatever you bloody well like i don't care you want to have an operation and have your penis you know removed do it you want your willy off no worries but you know what not kids leave them alone to me it's that obvious so why is it obvious to me but not obvious to the people in the medical boards and our government in the, in the chief medical officer, our regulatory bodies, why can't they see the fundamental issues with all of this? Um, you sound like Pink, Pink Floyd there for a moment. Uh, <laughs> leave our kids alone. Maybe you're too young for Pink Floyd. No, um, no, I'm not too young. I'm not in, too young. I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's a question that I've asked myself. The people that appear to be making all these rules and regulations of children too, um, and, and I thought it would, the COVID stuff would burn itself out because their own children would be coming home and couldn't go on holiday. First year at yeah. uni, I remember it was great. <clears throat> but our students were locked away behind behind gates. Uh, we wanted to tra- they wanted to travel and so on and so forth. And I'm I'm going to attempt to be fair here. Um, I'm quoting you. The UN Technical Guidance and the WHO Standard for Sexuality. I don't recall electing any of these people. So it shocked me a bit when they've been introduced into our schools. Now, um, in the absence of a devolved government in Northern Ireland, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland uh, spoke of his success in passing legislation that would introduce them into Northern Ireland schools. Now, I was surprised about that. Now, in Northern Ireland, yeah, as you know, the United Kingdom might be four sort of states, but they're all different. And Northern Ireland is very different. The, the, the rules, and I think this is important. The law that introduced local management schools in the Northern Ireland is the 1989 Education Reform Order. And it appears to place responsibility for the school curriculum in the hands of the boards of governors. Now, so you have in Northern Ireland's education system a sort of a quad, not a tripartite Power system, but a quadripartite power system. With the Department of Education, we have the Education Authority, we have CCMS, which is a Catholic body, and we have boards of governors. I have previously written articles about who actually is in charge. I think we're going to find out. Because the Education Reform Order articles, for anybody who's interested, 4, 10, and 31 plus 121, which talks about reporting to parents, talks about 
consulting parents and making a policy. Now, on the one hand, having read much of the hooey on the internet, I'm very alarmed. I'm equally alarmed at what, what's present on some of our websites, where we are being told to be proactive in bringing trainers in. Now, one of the listed trainers comes in uh, anti-bullying. But it's anti-bullying in a context of LGBTU transgender. Mm -hmm. Now, it is offering the opportunity to the whole year groups to discuss. Now, that's a bit more than informing. Now, like I said, to be fair, there was so much of a hullabaloo in Northern Ireland, the Department of Education issued a letter. And it went to all principles and was published in a newspaper. And here's what it says. Part of what it says. The changes to the legislation brought in by the Secretary of State does not apply to primary schools. Now, that's a straightforward statement. Does mm. not apply to primary schools. Me, I'm hoping that's a full stop rather than at the moment because the WHO and the international, they talk about, they have, that matrix I spoke about has 1 to 4, 5 to 9, 9 to 14, 15 to, that's what that matrix is about. So it's an all through sexual education curriculum. Mm. Why the WHO is involved in that? Why? I, yeah. the, the letter goes on to say, mm. the regulations make provision for, at the request of a parent, for a pupil to be excused. Now, for a pupil to be excused, they must know what's to be taught. Now, this is different, I think, from England, where I know there's controversy on do parents have a right to know? It seems to me in Northern Ireland, and as a head, I always thought the parent did have a right to know. Mm. It goes on to say, and this is the final sentence, the RSE policy must be based on the ethos of the school, subject to consultation with parents and pupils. Now, this letter went out to, now if you, if you, if you read that, that would be reassuring. As long as it's a statement of policy going forward, it appears to me to confirm what I already thought, that the ethos of the school is paramount, that you as a parent had a right to know. Because after all, Anna, you come in and you ask me, are we teaching Ohm's Law? And I tell you, you are. Yes, yes, we're teaching Ohm's Law. And you, you look in the child's exercise book and there'll be Ohm's Law, and then we'll test your child. So it's all in the book that goes home. So you come in and ask me, are you teaching sexualization to my child? And I, I refuse to tell you. What does that tell you? But in any case, if I am, and I'm defining, mm. because if you look at whose mm. um, matrix, 
it says define the various sexual terms. Recognize the sexual genitalia. Now, uh, is, does that not go in a book? Does that book not go home? Yeah. So in my mind, the parents were entitled. And if we're trying to work in an open environment, I'm only looking after, well, I'm not doing anything, but I'm only looking after your child. I only care of your child. And if you're telling me that you don't want something, well, I, I think I should be listening. And one of the big issues that we've spoken about is they, whoever the they are, in the mm. broader panoply of, of these issues, uh, digital passports, vaccine passports, digitalization of currency, sexualization of the primary schools, COVID, uh, the international health regulations for the mm. amendments to who. They do not appear to be listening. And no. anybody who dares to say, here, I don't agree. What yeah. happened to the democracy? Pe yeah. People, I thought people died for free speech. I yeah. think the 11th of November in our countries was all to do with freedom and democracy. And you then ask, freedom to do what? Well, freedom of speech, free press, free media, free elections, freedom to hold people accountable. And for me, it's that uh, wider element that is, I, I think you mentioned it, uh, all the pillars of our society that I thought were there um, have been shaken by this. And um, that's what moved me as it moved you to go on at great length about these issues because I, I felt... If we don't fight for our right to say it, you don't have to agree with me. So, you know, somebody said, I don't agree with the single word you're saying. And there are many that don't, but I'll fight to the death for your right to say it. Yeah. Um, and if, if, if we don't do this now, what sort of life are we leaving for ourselves and for our children? Absolutely. You, you talk about, you know, I think it was Armistice Day or whatever. I mean, Second World War. Why did we go to the Second World War? Why did we fight the Germans and the Nazis? You know, what was the point? You know, we might as well just have let them take over, have one fascist state govern us with propaganda. You know, why did, you know, thousands of people die, sacrifice themselves to fight the Nazis, if not to preserve freedom, freedom of speech, freedom to travel? freedom to do whatever you want, to have democracy. You mean we made all these sacrifices back then? You know, we have all these wonderful Second World War movies that I used to watch as a kid in the 80s for a reason. And now instead of young boys, you know, going to the conscription office and lying about their age and, you know, you know, Spitfire pilots, just teenagers, now you've got kids worried about their gender pronouns. Hiding behind masks, being anxious. And it's a really sad state of affairs.
and you just seem you can't question anything. You, you're not allowed. I, I I genuinely don't believe we live in a democracy anymore. It's a uniparty system. We have no accountability at all at the people at the top. They don't serve us at all. I, I can feel the passion and why you're doing what you're doing. I only know one other teacher. I think he's also a headmaster, Mike Fairclough. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Yes, I have. Um, he's, he's, he's speaking out and, and he's gone into a bit of trouble. Why is it that it's just you two speaking out? And I think you are retired. I mean, you've still got some positions. Maybe you're financially settled. You've got a pension. You're not worried about this anymore. And that's why you feel comfortable speaking out. I've got a feeling that even if you're younger, like me, I've got, I've got three young kids. I've got a mortgage, you know, a job, trying to hold on to my practice. Although they're making it tough for me. Um, I, I'm speaking up. I, I think if you're a younger man, you would still be speaking up. I don't, I don't think it's because you're settled and financially. I think you would, you would still be doing what you're doing. I mean, you might tell me I'm wrong. Why are no other teachers speaking up? Um, well, a serving teacher, um, uh, because of the hierarchy, finds it very difficult. I am indeed very disappointed. You're, you're right, I am retired, comfortably secure. But, as you well know, uh, it was a hostile place to be in. I mean, my, the board I was on, I was a fairly respected principal. The board was a professional board consisting of other professional educators, principals, serving principals, retired principals. And it was a very cold place to make presentations that were running counter to what everybody else thought. Hostile, I would say. Mm. Um, I did expect other retired inspectors, education officials, civil servants, um, in Northern Ireland to support me. I thought the articles I was writing, yeah. as I said, 11 in one of our newspapers, um, a widely read newspaper, there are basically three in Northern Ireland. Um, I did think people mm. would sign up and say, he's <clears> right. <throat> I support him. Retired people. Yeah. It has shocked me. Um, the, the, the retired people I'm on, I count them as my friends. We had an interesting exchange over the vaccine passports, I can tell you, about Christmas dinner and the vaccine passports. That was a moment uh, potentially friendship-breaking, let me tell you. Um, mm. I asked them, was it all right that you go in and have your turkey dinner and I'm going to stand at the window and look in at you? Fortunately for me, the owner of the restaurant and either was on our side, uh, believed us, and I got in anyway. I didn't go through the mask, ludicrous, you know, where the virus doesn't attack you if you're sitting, it yeah. does if you stand up, you know. Um, so yeah. uh, I can't understand that, that nobody else. I, I can only put it down to the... Closure, closing down. I mean, I asked, before I lost LinkedIn, I was in contact and I'm name dropping because Professor Gupta was in a bad place and I wrote to her. And so um, I got friendly with uh, Professor Kruldov Balacharba and 
Gupta, in fact, my article, Children Should Be at School, Children Are Better Off at School and That's Where They Should Be, appears in the opening introductory uh, version of the Collateral Global's newsletter. Um, and published as well in Northern Ireland. And I, was, I asked Sinatra, why aren't you on the TV? And you know the reason. She couldn't get on. I mean, I was cut off with BBC. I was asked as a... Now, I know that I keep saying small. So I'm asked on to a radio programme, BBC. Because I've a few mm. white masks. Mm. No, it's a, it's a talkback programme, very popular in Northern Ireland. I get on four minutes from the mm. end. That's telling me something. Four minutes from the end. The previous 26 minutes or whatever, we're all, we've got to wear a mask, got to wear it. I last a minute and a half before he tells me, he interrupts me, and then he tells me, I don't know my science. Mm. Now, this is a fellow with a theology uh, degree. I've got a scientific degree. Not that you need a science degree to read a chart, but anyway. I, exactly. I exactly. And I start to talk about harms. And he says, I'm not listening to this man for me. Cuts me off. So, as I said, um, the, I, I, in the early days, I did a talk for Health and Truth here in a security-driven farmhouse outside Belfast. We had to go through three security checks. Now, I was speaking about what are we doing to the children. It never saw the light of day. My part never saw the light of day. I was due to speak in Edinburgh at the invitation of Professor Enos of Edinburgh University. Um, four venues turned it down. Now, again, the title was, what are we doing to our children? I thought in the moment, I'm entitled to stand up and say this. If you don't want to listen, don't come. Switch your TV off. Not was on. Yeah. So in the end, <laughs> listeners will know this. I delivered it on a cold night in a park because I didn't want them to beat me. Now it's it's, it's on. It's on common knowledge as Professor Enos's Odyssey Channel. What I said, which is largely what I've been saying, but it lost something without the. PowerPoint where the graphs were, you know, but uh, those people that wanted to come, they, they'd sold a lot of tickets. Well, not sold, but they'd given a lot of tickets out, but naturally in a cold night outside. Mm. Um, yeah. It was appalling. So the tentacles of censorship are running through our society. And I, 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 I'm, I'm fortunate my wife is on the same page. Sadly, my children aren't, and it's, uh, it's... I'm so sorry to hear that. Tight. But... It's difficult. It was, it was... How many children do you have? Three sons, all in their thirties. Um, they, it's not that they... Well, and, what do they them, and what do they think? Well, one of them. Do they think you're just crazy? Do they think? Yes, basically. Yeah. Basically. Basically. I, I, think, uh, I think I'm not a doctor, so what would I know? Uh, that's what the message is. What would I know about vaccines, masks, 
PCR tests, uh, freedoms. Uh, um, we've had to, shall I say, agree to disagree. To, I, I, we did. They did accept that. Uh, now some of them know they, they didn't want, as far as I know, the vaccination because they didn't need it. But they wanted to socialise. They wanted to travel. They wanted to play sport. And then one of our politicians said they're not being coerced, as I, I think I wrote, I wrote to them and so on again. Of course, but they're being coerced. He said they had a choice. They don't have a choice if they want a life. Uh, of course, they're being coerced. Yeah. And, and, and certainly one of I them, hate that line. Hmm. Well, one of them knows it. So the, um, the master work. Um, but I think they basically believe I'm not a doctor and I'm retired. And one of them said, the conversation went, you can do what you want. I said, I can only do what I want. I can't go where I want. I can't go to a bar. I can't travel. I can't go to church. I can't go to a meeting. I can only do what I want. I'm only free to do what I want if I do what they tell me. And that, son, isn't freedom. That is not a definition of freedom. I'm only able to be free if I do what I'm told. That sounds a bit like solitude. That sounds to me. Oh, my God. This is why I'm also doing what I'm doing, Hugh, my friend. I wish I could give you a hug. <laughs> um, for a while, my wife and I... Yeah, I mean, my wife and I were on the opposite sides of the page. And it was uh, putting a strain on our marriage. And now she's on board and she sees what's been happening. And she said, look, you know, subject to bioweapon, biograde, warfare grade, psyops, propaganda, brainwashing. Mm -hmm. I trust an authority. You know, I'm so sorry. It's actually made our marriage stronger. You know, um, people might say, oh, well, what kind of relationship did you have if Matt Hancock could get in between the both of you? And it wasn't that simple, you know. Um, I do love my wife and she loves me. But these evil bastards, you know, did a number on her, like millions of others, including mm -hmm. your children. You know, it's not like you weren't a good dad and then you didn't try and teach them and make them good critical thinkers. I'm sure you did a fantastic job. But these bastards got to your kids just like they got to my wife. And I've seen and heard of so much damage done to families. It's really ripped across the nation. Husbands and wives strained, separated, divorced. You know, I was speaking to this doctor in Spain, separated from his wife now. He's telling me, yeah, I'm, I'm in this place up in the mountains, you know, for, for the weekend. You know, just to get away, I've separated from my wife. She thinks I'm crazy. And, you know, and it's not just Spain. It's not just here. It's everywhere around the world. Yeah. Husbands and wives, strained, separated, divorced. Parents and children, strained, separated. You know, I, I know people who tell me their children haven't spoken to them for two, three years. Don't have, and they haven't seen their grandchildren, like newly born grandchildren. They haven't seen them yet because they're not vaccinated. Yeah. <laughs> It's evil what's happened. And um, it's another reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. 
I'm really angry with the authorities, you know, they, whoever they are, for what they've done. There's so many layers of evil. It's like an onion. It just, you keep peeling back. So many layers of evil. I mean, to recap, all the evil that's done, been done to her children, past, but even the future, their, their prospects, their outlooks in life, their mental happiness, their memories looking back. You know, we talk about childhood memories. And normally we talk about them with, you know, rose-tinted views and golden amber light. You know, it's just, you know, your lovely childhood memories. What kind of childhood memories are these kids going to have? So you've scarred them, you've maimed them, you've affected their ability to have relationships. You're messing around with their brains about their gender. You're now mutilating them with drugs and surgery, permanent mutilations. You're making them patients for life. You're injecting them with vaccines. We don't know what harms that's going to be doing because we're not allowed to look into that. Even just questioning the sacred cow gets you into trouble. We've demolished our freedoms, our press, our political system. Everything's just awful. It's a bad place. But equally, I kind of think they overplayed their hand, they accelerated things, and they've brought everything out to the light. And now it's our job to expose all of this BS. And the reality is, you know, maybe we have to go through this process. We, I don't want to go back to 2019 because things were bad then that allowed what's happening now to have happened. And maybe we just, we need a great awakening. People need to learn how to be healthy, learn how to take responsibility, learn not to trust government, learn to take power away from government. Um, and yeah, try and build a better society. That's the only thing I can hope will happen. But I don't think it's going to happen overnight. And it relies on people like you having the courage to keep speaking up, my friend. And you, of course. I'm trying. Yes. I'm, I'm not going to stop. Well, once you're where... I really hope... It, Sorry. Well, uh, once we are where we are, you can't unsee what you've seen. You can't unknow um, what what we know. I mean, the the other thing that they're being blindsided on is climate change. That's another methodology of controlling us. Um, yeah. The one one us I have met, as you must have done, across the world. I met them by virtually, but also personally. Um, I met David Bell in Dublin. I travelled to Edinburgh to meet Richard Enos. I'm going to meet Abir Balan, whom I have a great respect for. And yes. in terms of, I seem to have met a lot of people with compassion and integrity and courage. Um. And I, I suppose that is something that I'm grateful for. I, I sort of met people that I uh, probably um, respect and be friendly with for the rest of my days, such as they are. I'm uh, very close, I think, to people like Ivor Cummings and Joel Smalley, who are from, from Ireland. I mean, different 
sort of parts of Ireland, I know, but um, and I think that's 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 to be cherished. In terms of the restructuring and reforming of society, I mean, that's a, a a dream, and I think you're right. It was wrong. Society was wrong. Clearly. The foundations were wrong before. This didn't happen from 2019. It's hard to identify when it did happen, but some of these regulations, and I'm not suggesting it started here because it didn't, were written in 2008, ones that I'm talking about. Yeah. And both of us will be familiar with it. went way back in time that these building blocks were being put in place there's a lot of money yes. behind this. If one looks at the major funders of many of the organizations that are doing most of the talking and doing most of the controlling and who are benefiting most, then it's, there is just a large group of elite who appear to have bought and bribed and bullied the rest of society into doing their will. And Mm. what we've got to hope, I think, is that by... I was very struck by Tess Laurie's analogy at the World Council of Health a couple of years ago. Um, Her father was a pigeon racer, a pigeon breeder. And what she said at the end was, it stuck in my mind, all of you that are listening, go and be my pigeons. And she did that, spread the word. And that was a very good analogy. Because if we all try Mm. like you're doing, you have a big following, I know I I don't. But if we all try a bit, if 100 people do it 100 times or a 1,000 people do it for 100, that's a lot of people. And there are people being, as your wife, converted, changed Mm. all of the time. And I suppose if you're a believer in God, then God laughs at people who are wicked, doesn't doesn't he? Yeah. And then once you wake up, you don't go back. Yeah. Um, It's really funny. What I would say, um, normally when I... And I say, if you're on your deathbed, um, you've lived 138, 145, you know, good life. Your children, grandchildren, everybody's around you. What words of wisdom would you impart on them, health or otherwise? And uh, before you answer that, I just want to say to you, I have no doubt, my friend, that your three sons one day will look up to you and say, my dad was a fucking legend. (laughs) And hold hold out for them. You know, show them love and compassion and and just wait, just wait. Um, And that's what I did with my wife. You know, I reconnected, showed them love, showed my wife who, you know, who she fell in love with all those years back. And um, yeah, she listens to my podcast now (laughs) (laughs) and she loves them. She sends me messages several times a day. And um, when I think about the dark days where we were, you know, I honestly thought we were going to be breaking up. 
And now we're we're a hundred times stronger than where we were before. And I have no doubt, my friend, your sons will be like, our dad is a fucking legend. So anyway, <laughs> on that note, what advice would, would you give your family and your kids and grandchildren? Well, I think, uh, think for yourself. Do your own independent research. Um, one of the things I noticed, if people are going on a holiday, they do the research. Buying a house, they do the research. Mm. They're buying a car, they do the research. Yeah, yeah. But when your life depends on it, you trust the government. What? <laughs> um, so uh, what, what I was asking my sons to do, don't take my word for it. Do your research. Now, here are some sources. Um, but do your research. Um, one of the things that yeah. one of my sons said to me was, you're not a doctor. Well, I said to him, but your mum doesn't understand football. But she, and she's not a mathematician. But she looks at the football league tables and can tell me who's top and who's bottom. And she looks at the score at the end of a football match and she knows who wins, but she knows nothing about football and she's not a statistician. Mm. Do the mm. same thing. Here are the charts. Great. I hope some of them did. <laughs> so the answer to your question is think for yourselves. Amazing. Guys, everyone listening, thank you so much. Please do give Hugh, a follow. Um, all his links will be on the podcast and you can find him. He's got a great Substack. Um, I'm sure I'm going to have Hugh back. Um, Hugh, I'd love you to come back next year, by the way. Thank you. And um, everyone listening, I don't know if you remember what Hugh was saying, you know, the dove analogy. Please share my podcast with as many people as possible. Get the word out. You can really support me by subscribing to my show. And there's, a, there's, so, there's 10 many... 10 times as many people listening to my podcast as they are following. Just click the button and subscribe to my show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave a review. Get, them, get the word out there. If you can support me on Substack or buy me a coffee, that's even better. Because um, I don't know how much longer I'll be able to work as a doctor, the way things are going. Um, so I want to be able to keep spreading the message and getting the truth out. Thank you so much, everyone. I love you lots.